My message today is entitled, Time to Fortify. As we begin 2022, people all over the world are eagerly looking forward to a new year where there might be hope on the horizon for a change of pace or something different or a relief from pandemic fears and a hundred other aspects of life that really made the last year really difficult and challenging. Yes, 2020 was rough and different than any of us that had ever known. But many people expected going into 2021 that it would be different. We survived the whole shutdown in the world. Things just have to be different. Besides, I'm tired of everything, so 2021 has to be different, a lot of people thought. But because their expectations rose, many were not ready for the trials that this past year brought. So what do we do with this year? How do we set ourselves up for a better year regardless of what comes against us? I will tell you that we have to fortify our defenses. We can't let down our guard and expect everything to be fine, which I think happened to a lot of people last year. Now, I'm not talking about making New Year's resolutions, which sound attractive, but have no staying power. I'm talking about taking an honest inventory of our own lives. You see, it does no good to look forward to a new year if we don't assess our current situation for any mistakes that we've made of lowering our defenses allowing gaps to grow, failing to address and shore up weak areas, and simply hoping for a better year instead of having an intentional plan. What happened with a lot of people is rather than looking at themselves, they felt the best way to go forward was to blame other people. Whether it was in the political realm or other people around them was to blame someone else. That's why things are bad. But unless we take an honest look at ourselves and fortify our own defenses, We will repeat the same thing that's happened in the past. Thus, as your pastor, it's my job to lead all of us in a spirit-led time of fortifying our defenses. But this is not a new idea. In fact, there was a mighty man in the Bible, in the Old Testament, who was called on by God to fortify the defenses of his people. His name was Nehemiah. And maybe you're not familiar with that name. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king when, people, when the Israelites were taken away to another land. He was a cupbearer to the king. If you think that sounds like not a great job, maybe you don't know what a cupbearer was. A cupbearer, when anything was brought to the king, the cupbearer had to taste it first before it was given to the king in case he was tried to kill. So it was a very humble job, but a very, very important job. And so he gained a lot of favor with the king, even though he was in a foreign land. And so he went to the king and said, "I, King, can you give... Can you allow me to go back to my home people in Israel where we've been destroyed? Can, we, can, we, can I let me go back there to help to build the wall that's been around Jerusalem because it's in shambles right now? And because of the favor that he had of being the cupbearer of the king, the king said, go. I will let you go back uh, to try to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. So Nehemiah rallied his people with a word from the Lord and commanded them to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. I'm going to pick it up in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, if you follow along. It's quite a bit of scripture today because I want to show you the application that it means for today. Nehemiah 2:17. it says, Then I said to them, this is Nehemiah talking, you see, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. 
Uh, Nehemiah has been called the James of the Old Testament because he challenged the people to show their faith by works, to do something with it, to go back and to rebuild what what had been torn down. Nehemiah 2, verse 18. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. See, when they each put God's promises into their remembrance, it allowed them to rise up out of their pity and begin the necessary work of rebuilding the wall. Okay? It's very easy to get beaten down to say how bad it is for us and we, those were the good old days and this happened before and to get stuck in our pity. And yet we have to say, God, but God has been faithful to us and through us and for us. And so we have to get up. We have work to do. They began by rebuilding the walls and the gates around Jerusalem. Since the temple was already built, it needed protection. They needed to protect. So the temple was God's place on earth where God's presence rested on earth. They had allowed it to, the, to be unprotected. How does that relate to us? Well, in the New Testament, we are told that we are the temple. In fact, this is our memory verse for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God, and you are not your own? We don't, even, we don't even own our own selves. We are God's. We are His purchased possession. That's why we need to take care of our bodies and our spirits and our minds. This being true, we must go to great lengths to protect this treasure that is in us. The Bible says it is a treasure that is within earthen vessels. We hold this great, great treasure of God living inside of us, and yet too many times we don't protect it enough. We don't honor it enough. Like the builders with Nehemiah, we must fortify the walls, reinforce the gates, and get rid of the rubble that keeps us from standing strong in the Lord. Therefore, as I go through this, it's going to look like an architecture job, or it looks like a rebuilding job. It's not just a recording of work that's done to repair the walls around Jerusalem and its temple. But more poignantly, it gives direction for us how to rebuild our lives under God's direction and help when we repent and turn to Him for restoration. It's an absolute necessity to take inventory and to fortify our defenses as we look to a new year with faith and discernment. One of the greatest gifts that we can give God is our honesty. We all fail. We all sin. And God knows that, but if we hold things back and say, I wasn't that bad, but so-and-so was even worse. I mean, it's the natural reflect. Isn't that what Adam and Eve did? Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent, right? It's a natural human response to blame someone else, to take the pressure off of us, but God says, I already see the pressure. The way to release it is to be honest with me. Where have you failed? Are you willing to look at yourself and then give it to me so I can heal you? That's the goal when we do this spirit-led evaluation is is to be honest with God so God can remove it once and for all so that we can go on to do the things that God has called us to do. As we read about the wall around Jerusalem, I think you're going to be amazed of, of the comparison that God has that it holds with our spiritual lives with Him. 
It's not a mere architecture or history lesson, but an opportunity to learn what God requires of us as we fortify the defenses of our own temples. Thus, we're going to begin. Nehemiah 3, verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated and hung its doors. So as we see, we're going to see there's many gates. This was one of them. It's not the sheep gate. Now, I'm going to ask Rich here, because Rich is our expert here. Do you know what gate that is on the, on the, on the head of the bulletin? You're, you're, you're right. That's, that's the temple gate. It's also called the east gate, which we're going to talk. So good job with the pressure on, Rich. You did awesome. The first gate we talked about is the sheep gate. Okay, so they're all in ruins. They start to rebuild it. The first one is the sheep gate. Okay, the sheep and the lambs that were used for sacrifice were brought through this first gate. They were brought through for sacrifice through the through the sheep gate and on the way into the temple. Okay, think about this application for us. Our first realization when coming to Christ and understanding that Jesus is understanding that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The sheep gate must also speak to us of the cross and the sacrifice that Jesus made for our sins. As we allow the Holy Spirit to evaluate our lives, we must come back to the basic foundation that Jesus Christ was crucified because of our sins. You see, sometimes when we start to put our defenses down, we begin to act that we should be blessed because we're Christians or be blessed because we're the family of God. And we forget the reason that we're blessed is because Jesus put his life down on the cross. And if we wander too far from that and too far from our minds, we forget that and we take advantage of or take it for granted what Jesus did on the cross. Thus, the first thing that had to be repaired when they rebuilt the wall was the sheep gate to understand that Jesus is the Lamb of God, like a sheep that was led to slaughter. That's why we have the blessings that we have, and that should always be forefront in our minds of what he did on the cross for us. When we drop our defenses as Christians, it's usually because we've lost sight of the cross. We've taken it for advantage and just expect blessings to come our way. But the truth is that all of our authority that we have, all of our faith is directly proportionate to the recognition of the cross and what Jesus sacrificed so that we might become His righteousness. If this truth has been dulled in any way, that is where we must start as we fortify our defenses. We have to know the price that He paid as the Lamb of God to make a way for us. Nehemiah 3, verse 3. Also the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. The fish gate was the next gate that they rebuilt. The fishermen of Galilee would bring their fish in this gate to be sold. For us, it speaks of evangelism, as we have been called to be fishers of men and women. It is the natural progression in a Christian's life that after seeing what Jesus did for us and for our sins, that we would want to tell others about it. If you were here last week, I hope you were blessed by hearing Scott Power's amazing testimony of what God did in his life. Amazing what God took a life that was all stuck and hung up in drugs and, and, and all of its hacks and what God has done in his life to even to be here to be ministering uh, to God. So it's a natural progression that once God saved me is I want to tell somebody else what God's doing in my life. If you're not telling others about what Jesus has done or is doing in your life on a regular basis, then you need to return to that first gate. 
to understand all that He gave at the cross. To understand that He gave His life so that we could live here, but also live eternally with Him. The greatest evangelists and strongest Christians are the ones who have realized what they have been saved from, how graciously they have been forgiven, and are contagiously excited about their restoration. Their simple testimony of what Jesus has done in their lives qualifies them to be great fishers of men and women and children. Nehemiah 3.6 Moreover, Jehoiada, the son of Paseah, and Meshullam, the son of Basedeah, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Historians believe that the old gate was one of the original gates made. When we have found ourselves in sin and in error as we evaluate ourselves and we see our lives sometimes in ruins, it takes a process to reach godly restoration. Yes, God forgives us, but it's going to take a while to get it back in place where we're beginning to operate the way we've called to operate. After we've given God our honesty and cried out for His help, He leads us in the fortification process. We didn't fall into sin overnight. We don't get fixed overnight. It's a process. This next step requires that we relearn the old ways or the foundation of truth that never changes. It's a wonderful verse in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. It's not often preached nowadays, but I think it's certainly worthy. It says, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. You know, too many Christians nowadays are wanting something new. They're just tired of the old ways, of their old truth. They want a new experience, or a new song, or a new, a, a new adventure, or a new movement. The latest teaching, or the latest experience. Or they try to change the truth, to make it acceptable to what the world thinks is truth today. However, as you know, that will probably change by tomorrow. The Bible says that we are to look at the old paths. Not just the ways of doing things, but the, the truths. That Jesus died on the cross for us. God, the Ancient of Days, calls us back to His long-established ways that do not change and they remain the same yesterday and today and forever. So don't go looking for God solely in a new experience or a new book or a new movement. Go to the old ways for your foundation. The Ten Commandments still hold truth for today. Amen? They do. As for the old ways, I'm not saying all the old methods, but we need to understand that Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins, that He died and sacrificed His life. In some circles, that's politically incorrect to talk about Jesus in that way. A lot of new churches don't even have a cross. We need to understand what Jesus did for us and continue the foundation on that truth. Nehemiah 3, verse 13. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate next. They built it and hung its doors and its bolts and bars. So as we're continuing on this progression of God refortifying our defenses, we come to the valley gate. The valley gate speaks to us of humbling and trials. Valley-type experiences are used by the Lord for our own personal growth. Nobody loves going into the valley-type experiences, but it's where we get our most growth. 
It's never easy, but we remember that in the natural, nothing really grows on the mountaintops. Everyone wants to have that mountaintop experience of being on top of the mountain, but you don't go pick flowers and your, your, your produce on top of the mountain. Nothing grows on the top of the mountain. Where does it grow? It grows in the valley. That's where the rivers run deep. That's where the streams flow. What the seeds that we plant in the valley when we're praying and trusting God and believing in hope, those seeds that we plant in the valley is what produces great fruit later. Thus, a valley-type experience is necessary in all of our lives. Nehemiah 3.14 Melchizedek, the son of Rechab, leader of the district of Ben-Hekram, repaired the refuse gate. He built it and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. All of Jerusalem's refuse or trash or rubbish was taken out through the refuse gate. It was also called the dung gate. I'll spare the bad jokes, but you get the picture. There had to be a gate to get rid of all the junk, to get rid of all the trash. It doesn't just magically disappear. When you come to Jesus and your sins are forgiven, you're no longer held accountable for the consequences of your sin because of Jesus Christ, but you still have all those old ways as part of what you're doing. You still have to get rid of that stuff and begin to pattern your life after Jesus Christ. The valley experience can carry on for some time. But the result of that experience is clearly seen in this gate, the dung gate or the refuse gate. This is where the rubbish is removed. This is where the, the pitying and the shame and the condemnation and the critical spirit, it's where all that stuff, as God brings it to your mind, you are aware of it and you get rid of it. I'm going to choose to leave that. I'm going to choose to leave that back in 2021. I no longer want to pick that back up with me again. Valley experiences are used by the Lord to clear away the rubbish and the trash so that true faith, which is refined by fire, can come forth and produce fruit. Clearing away the junk in our lives is never easy, but it is necessary so we can claim the benefits of this experience at the next gate. Nehemiah 3.15 Shalom, the son of Koheza, leader of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. The fountain gate was located next to the pool of Silo and was often used by the people for cleaning before they proceeded to the temple. Before they got to the temple, they needed to be clean. Before they go to the presence of God. The fountain gate was located right near uh, the temple. So after a valley-type experience where the rubbish in our lives is cleared out through the dung gate, true faith comes as the fountains begin to flow naturally. What does that flowing fountain represent? We know Jesus talks about that flow would come by spending time with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as we spend time in His presence and spend time in His Word, there would be a natural flow. We wouldn't have to force it. The Holy Spirit would naturally begin to flow out of our lives. Jesus talked about this in John 7:38. He said, He who believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You don't have to force it. You can't fake it. If you're spending time with God and in prayer and seeking His presence, the Spirit naturally flows through us. And it takes that junk away and it, it offers us compassion. We lead with compassion and love and peace. That's what happens when we take the time to evaluate our lives and to fortify our defenses. You see, when we allow the Holy Spirit access to every part of our lives, to every area, we allow Him to purge us and to cleanse us. 
so that His living water can flow through us and bring healing in us and through us and to pass on to others as well. Verse 26, Moreover, the Nathanim who dwelt in Ophel made repairs as far as the place in front of the water gate toward the east and on to the projecting tower. The water gate led down onto the Gihon Spring. The water gate is a picture of the Word of God and its effect in our lives. As you spend time in the Word, like we're doing today, He washes your mind, your soul, and your spirit. He cleans the residue of guilt and shame and fear and doubt that filled that nook for too long in your life. In fact, in the book of Ephesians chapter 5.26, it says that He might sanctify and cleanse her. Speaking of how God cleanses the church. He might sanctify and cleanse her, the church, with the washing of water by the Word. Why do we spend time in the Word? It's because it washes us. It cleanses us. And we all get dirty. We do. But by spending time, it cleanses us. It's Jesus' intention to wash us with the Word. This is part of the sanctification process where He sets us apart from the world if we're willing to be cleaned. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, when my kids were younger, they didn't like to get into the bathtub. Anybody have kids like that? They wanted to stay dirty. It's more fun to stay dirty. You know what? Sometimes for adults it's the same way. We're not willing to go through what we need to to be cleansed. What we need is to spend time in God's presence. I don't know if it's a fear that we're going to get knocked on the head by God and say, I told you so. But the reason why God wants to bring us to our attention is so that He can take it away from us. He can take the dirt and the filth and the grime and the shame and the condemnation away from us. God doesn't want us to stay dirty, but we need to take time in His Word to be cleansed, to be freed up, to live a life of freedom for Him. Psalm 119, verse 9 says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. It's no coincidence that this gate is located next to the fountain gate as the two go together. The Holy Spirit is the one that makes the Word of God alive to us personally, allowing cleansing and encouragement and direction to take place in our life. It's because of the Holy Spirit that the Word of God makes sense to us where it feels like He's speaking directly to us. The fountains begin when we have established healthy disciplines of going to His Word daily to stay clean and refreshed and be empowered by this heavenly manna, the Spirit-led opening and enlightenment of the power in the Word of God. Nehemiah 3.28 Beyond the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. The horse gate was close to the king's stables. Why was a horse gate needed? Because the men of Jerusalem would ride their horses out of this gate to go to war. The horse gate speaks to us of warfare as horses were used in battle and became a symbol of war. Now what kind of war do we engage in as Christians? Well, Revelation 19.11 tells us, Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Why does Jesus make war? 
It's spiritual warfare that he's talking about. Spiritual warfare is not an option but a requirement for every Christian because we are all in a battle whether we know it or not. If we just continue to live trying to get the most out of life and trying to get the most fun and what's best for me, we fail, to, we, we fail our duty to act in spiritual warfare, which God has called all of us to do. It's also interesting that the horse gate follows the word or the water gate. For as the word goes forth, the spiritual warfare is sure to increase. As you spend more time in God's word, you realize that, that the enemy is out there fighting for souls of our kids, of our family, of our friends. And we need to go to spiritual warfare to make sure that they are claimed for the kingdom. Spiritual warfare is what we're all called to take part in. This means we engage in not just prayer, but travailing prayer. Where we spend time on our knees and spend time praying. And don't just give up because our ten minutes is up. Or don't just give up because we're bored. It's the spiritual warfare that goes past the boredom, past the distractions, past the doubt, and continues to pray. And continues to pray because God has called us to do such. We engage in persevering to seek God long after we have grown tired or bored or want to give up. Many of you have stories of, the, of how God reached you in life and not knowing why, then you heard, and you heard that your moms and your grandparents and your grandma was on their knees all night praying for you. And maybe for a long time without seeing results, and how many of our parents and grandparents, or maybe you do that for your grandkids as well, and you don't see the results, but you know that travailing prayer and persevering prayer is answered. Those are some of these old disciplines that we talk about. That's part of spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is fighting against fear and worry and negativity and distractions because that is where the battle is won. When we push on, even though we don't see the answer, we keep praying and believing that God will bring the answer to pass. There is always a breakthrough in the spiritual realm first before it ever manifests in the natural Spiritual warfare understands that there is a spiritual fight for every soul on this earth. And we are willing to stand in the gap even for, a single, even for a single soul, even if we don't know who we're praying for. Sometimes God calls us to prayer and we keep praying that God's will will be done, that God will bring the victory in someone's life. We seek God and we pray for victory as a breakthrough in the heavenlies. And we ask God to give us the faith to hold on until we see it manifest in the natural. This is where true faith is forged. Nehemiah 3.29 And then Zadok, the son of Immer, made repairs in front of his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, made repairs. The east gate is this picture on your bulletin. It's located on the opposite side of the Mount of Olives, or the Mount Olivet, if you've ever heard of that. Do you know why the Mount of Olives is important, or why the East Gate is important? In a prophetic vision, the Lord spoke to Ezekiel about the East Gate. In Ezekiel 44, verse 1, it says, Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces toward the east, but it was shut. 
Ezekiel 44, verse 2. And the Lord said to me, this gate shall be shut. You can see in your picture, it's closed, it's shut. Even though they rebuilt it, it's closed, shut. The gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and no man shall enter into it. Because the Lord God of Israel has entered by it, therefore it shall be shut. The east gate opens and looks towards the Mount of Olives. When Jesus returns, the Bible says that he will return by entering through this east gate. Zechariah 14.4, it says, In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. When he returns, he'll stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And then Jesus will enter Jerusalem by the east gate. My wife and family and I had a, had a privilege to go to Jerusalem several years ago, 2001, to see this. As you know, our, our uh, Nancy's brother is a missionary in Israel. Um, and so we got a chance to see that. And, and, and we know the prophecy that is closed right now. And the prophecy says that Jesus will return and go through the east gate and go down and sit on the temple and usher in the kingdom of God. Well, the people that own that land don't want that to happen. Okay? The Muslims don't want that to happen, and so what they did is they sealed the gate. They said, you can't go through the gate. We're going to seal it. Then they said on top of it, in front of it, you could barely see, but there's a bunch of tombstones. They put a cemetery in front of the gate because it's, it's not good for a, a, a holy man to walk through a cemetery. So they figured, we've got a cemetery, close the gate, and Christians said, you know what, you killed us once, already came back, a cemetery, a closed gate is not going to stop him this time. When he comes back through, he's going to usher in the kingdom of God. That east gate is where Jesus is going to return. It speaks of the return of Jesus Christ. For our Christian life, it shows us of our need to live with this hope and to long for his return. This is the joy that we hold through every challenge and through every trial through every loss and through every disappointment, that one day Jesus Christ, our Messiah, will return and enter through the east gate and usher in God's eternal kingdom. Nehemiah 3.31 After him, Melchizedek, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of Nathanum of the merchants in front of the Mifkhed gate and as far as the upper room in the corner. The Mifkhed gate is also known as the inspection gate. The word in Hebrew has a military connection, and according to its tradition, it was at this gate that David would meet his troops and inspect them. The final gate was this inspection gate. The gate speaks to us of the examination of our lives by the Lord. This occurs in this life, as indicated by Paul in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 4 says, For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. You see, if we've had a difficult time or a difficult year, if we've seen gaps in certain areas, it's because we've taken on the job of inspecting ourselves that we are not as faithful as God can be. We need to show ourselves to God. In our Christian experiences, we should be living with this in mind. We are called to live our lives with eternity in view, caring more for the things of eternity than for the temporal things that are around us. It is also expected that every Christian should regularly allow the Holy Spirit to inspect us. This is true all the more today, especially today, as we go to the Lord's table in just a moment. Asking God to inspect us so that we do not take the elements in an unworthy manner. The inspection gate reminds us that we should always be seeking God. Never just be content. 
and always be prepared for Him to speak that we would be quick to follow. Verse 32, And between the upper room at the corner as far as the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants made repairs. You see, the sheep gate is mentioned once again. It's a full circle. Because everything starts and ends with Jesus' death on the cross. Thus, this is one way to conduct an evaluation of our lives. If we truly spend time at each gate, seeking to understand its significance, and allowing God to wash us and cleanse us and endue us with power, then send us out to be His ambassadors in this world for Him, so that we're ready for whatever comes against us. If you have felt God speaking to you through any of this teaching, then please pray about allowing Him to bring you through this individual fortification process for your life. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word today. We thank You that You are moving in us and desiring to cleanse us and heal us. Lord God, we want to give You our best. We want to give You our honesty. And Lord God, we know it's a process, but right now we choose to just worship You for who You are. Lord God, You truly are a great God. We love You, Lord God. Thank You for continuing to work on us. We give You our worship right now. In Jesus' name, Amen.